hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Kanja Book Club, the weekly Star Wars book club podcast brought to you by the Teeny Podcast Network. This is the show where we intentionally experience Star Wars stories together one month at a time. And today we are talking Into the Dark by Claudia Gray, chapters one through eight. This is episode 30, you guys. Um, I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and I am here by the super early in the morning. It's what, 5 a.m. your time, Adam? Welcome to the show. It is 5 a.m. I completely forgot about daylight savings today. Completely forgot. <laughs> Bless your heart, as we say in the South. <laughs> yep. And then I only realized that it was time, and so I thought to check that daylight savings had ticked over because Cheryl had jumped into the chat and basically no one was there. I was like, why are you jumping in so early? It's not even, not even time yet. <laughs> Turns out it was time. It's two minutes past time. <laughs> hey, yeah, you're good. You're good. Cheryl is always here to save the day, and we will take that. So we are also joined by none other than Patrick McIntosh. Patrick, welcome back. We missed you last week. How you doing? Um, well, I'm fantastic. I have a new animal in my family, and Chewy. Punch it, Chewy. He's around here. So I think he's asleep. And um, let's keep it like that, because. He'll bite and chew on everything. He'll be like chewing on my cords, on my microphone. It's, that's good stuff. <laughs> Pets are the best. Well, I was trying to pay a bunch of bills Wednesday night, and I'm just like sitting on the couch on my laptop, and he's trying to bite the computer, and he jumps on the, like, the keyboard and freezes the whole thing. I'm like, great, this dog just deleted my whole bank account. My life savings? Well, it's gone. I'm going to be homeless <laughs> now. <laughs> Chewy deserves the largest of cuts. Let's be honest. Well, it, he's not going to have a cut if you, like, backspace the entire <laughs> Well, I am so glad to have you guys here. Daylight savings issues and puppies, one and all. Um, also glad to have our friends in the chat. We've got some new, I guess, not new faces, but, uh, you know, it's always good to have Cheryl in here. Um, we've got Chris, as usual. Glad that y'all are with us. Um, and glad to have everyone else listening, however that is happening. Um, we are live in Discord every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern, and our episodes will officially be hitting the Utini Network feeds every Tuesday morning right around midnight. However you are listening to us, we are so glad that you are here and welcome. Um, I'm going to run through some quick updates real fast, like um, on the Utini front, the Cosmic Force, uh, Utini's brand new live show revolving around comics, is debuting this Wednesday on YouTube. Um, you can head on over to um, their Discord channel for more information and get in on the conversation there. Um, also, make sure to check out their Twitter account. They are at Cosmic Force Show um, for updates and comic news. They've already been pretty active. They've unveiled all four of their hosts via Twitter and um, in the Discord channel. So make sure to go check them out. Give them a lot of love. Um, and with their introduction, we'll be um, introducing the official Utini Podcast Network. So you will actually already see if you listen to your podcast through Spotify or Amazon Music, some of those sites, um, Conjure Book Club, Cafe, Star Wars Archives. Um, some of those shows are already slowly making their way out into the feeds. Um, we are waiting on Apple and Google to give us the go-ahead before they appear everywhere. So that should be probably by the time that you're listening to this, if you're not live, um, 
we probably already exist there. So welcome. You found us. Congrats. <laughs> um, we also unveiled last night, uh, the Conjure Book Club has a Twitter account. So that's fun. We're official. Had to jump in and join everybody. I uh, finally listened to Adam, who um, has been pushing me to make one of these for a long time. Um, and he gave me the, just the subtle, gentle push that I needed to do it. And the fact that I listened to him, I think it means that, uh, I don't know. Are we are we friends now, Adam? Is that how that works? We're getting there, man. We're getting there. Um, I won't bring up football with Cheryl in the chat because we'll just all get in trouble. <laughs> but yeah. there are reasons. I'll also, spare, I'll also spare her the marble talk today. It's fine. <laughs> there are reasons why I am a bit hesitant, but you know that. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. So we are we are slowly becoming friends. Patrick has always been a friend. Patrick is like well, thank you. Patrick is like our Switzerland, right? They stay out of everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm just here in the corner chilling. Yeah, like, you know, eating chocolate, counting money, and uh, sliding down the snowy slopes. Yeah, just living it up. Um, Cheryl is super excited that we're on Twitter because she apparently lives on Twitter. So that's cool. I thought you lived in Canada, but <laughs> Twitter's dope too. <laughs> Well, she can also watch us go back and forth with Kevin Durant on Twitter now, too. So, Are we trying to go back and forth with Kevin Durant on Twitter? I mean, he'll go back and forth with anybody, apparently. So, I mean, I'm just going to say, I since I was like in middle school and met that guy, I met him long, long, long time ago. But I've been obsessed with his Twitter account. Just the, the way that he, dis- like his uh, intro, description, whatever. It's just, I'm me, I do me, and I chill. So, and I'm like, so, I want to be you when I grow up. <laughs> so so that's the public Kevin Durant. But you may need to look up a few <laughs> news articles, Timothy, about some of the DMs yeah. this man's shooting out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I'm going to be fine with uh, with with not doing that. Um, he, well, well, yeah, that's that's another another topic, another show. I mean, don't be scared. Words, can, what sticks and stones, but words can never hurt you. You'll be fine. Just tell him yeah. that he still can't beat LeBron and keep it moving. <laughs> oh, man. Lakers and six. Lakers and six. That would be wild. Absolutely wild. Oh, hey, Lakers, LeBron, Space Jam dropped a trailer today and it is fire. Uh, that's not what we're here to talk about, but I'm just going to give a plug. Put it in my veins immediately. I need it. Everybody get up. It's time to jam now. And a bit of Don Cheadle the in there. Thing going. Uh, there's a lot of Don Cheadle in there, and I am here for that. Where do I sign? <laughs> um, I, just wanna, I just hope that the new, like you know, the new soundtrack for this Space Jam is just as amazing as the first one. Oh, I'm sure it will be. I have high hopes. And like I said, somebody please let me, like let me get one of the Looney Tunes traded. <laughs> just some classic LeBron action. Oh, like he's got a flop. He's got to complain to a ref. Like Steph Curry's got to come out of nowhere from like the crowd, like back of the crowd, just shoot, shoot like a three from <laughs> out of the arena and just shimmy back into like oblivion. Just get in it. Probably uh, v- very much in the same manner that Rex appeared in a Bad Batch trailer this last week, huh? How'd you like that transition? Rex is Steph Curry, is he not? Mate, I'm not here to talk Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right, Adam, because our conversation earlier this week is starting a DC podcast. <laughs> yep. And our number so, one fan will be Cheryl. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, he's more of a, oof, I don't know, I think he's more of an Anthony Davis. 
<laughs> Rex as Anthony Davis. Yeah. Just the, the, the strong support. Exactly. Okay. Good in the, good in the paint, aka armor painted. Um, yeah. You know, good the, in the clutch. Does this make Ahsoka LeBron? No, Anakin's LeBron. Okay. We'll, we'll we'll figure out we'll figure out our role players later. <laughs> Sixty sixty six has to be like the inevitable point when LeBron retires. Hmm. There's there's all kinds of, of of fun good things we could talk about, and absolutely, Chris uh, definitely would love to see something with Rex and Cody going up. I want to see just an intense conversation there, but. Let's move on through the rest of our updates because we need to talk about it in the dark. <laughs> um, on Patreon, Star Wars Day, May the 4th, our Inquisitorious patrons and up will get to join the UTE staff for a Bad Batch watch party. Speaking of the Bad Batch, more details on that will come soon, like the time and specifics and where we're going to watch it and all that stuff. But the current plan is to watch all four episodes of the Bad Batch arc from season seven of the Clone Wars and then their debut episode that night. So I am super excited for it. No idea what time yet. Cheryl, I know, I know I need to know as well, but we got some stuff to work out first. Um, So we will let you know as soon as possible. Um, I hope to get something out here in the next couple of weeks. So bear with us. Book schedule, looking ahead, we've got May. We're going to be reading Thrawn Ascendancy, Greater Good by Timothy Zahn. And pause, because we already know what we're reading in November or December, because the third Thrawn book was just announced. Holy cow. Um, Super excited about that. Um, And then in June, we will be reading the Age of Rebellion limited comic series. Um, I'm not going to rehash the the joke that we made last week about it, uh, but very excited to be reading it. The community pick, um, Age of Rebellion, that'll be um, covered in two weeks. We'll do the villains the first week and the heroes the second week of June. We will be joined by a special guest, and I'm going to leave that as a breadcrumb that will linger for months. So you are welcome. I thought I was a special right. guest every week. Uh, I don't, no, I don't get paid, so I must. You're just guest. here. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're just here. Yeah. Uh, All right, guys. Fine. Guys, yes, I do have more important news. More important news. Yes, it just came through my feed as of right now. Okay. Um, Zendaya will voice Lola Bunny in Space Jam. I'm 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 already here for it. I'm even more so here for it. Right. I'd watch Zendaya in just about anything. She is such an incredible actor. Really phenomenal. Aaron Rodgers is doing Jeopardy this week, y'all. Goodness gracious. That's a sentence that I never thought I would ever hear in my life. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. Do, 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 do. Boom. You lost to the uh, Saints. You cannot beat I hope Tom that, Brady. Uh, <laughs> I hope that one of the... Uh, like the daily double. I hope it's the daily discount double check. Yes. <laughs> no, and it has to play the logo of the guy, like the crazy cheese head guy. Rogers, daily discount double check. <laughs> oh, man. Moving from the sports talk, let us, let us get into the High Republic, Into the Dark by Claudia Gray. So this book came out. <laughs> yes, Cheryl, we do talk about the most random stuff. It's it's weird. We're coming into our own. We're trying to figure it out. You know, 30, 30 episodes deep. And you just I don't know if, if if you weren't expecting this. What what are you doing? 
Yes, Into the Dark, Claudia Gray. This book came out February 2nd. So this is the second book, technically. Um, not in any particular, like, it's not like a trilogy format. It's not like a saga format or anything like that. It's just chronologically, this is really the second book in the High Republic era of books. Um, kind of picks up right alongside of um, Light of the Jedi and the events of the Great Disaster. goes a little bit beyond it. Um, we all know Claudia Gray. I mean, she's been around the block in Star Wars quite a bit. She's written Lost Stars, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, Bloodline, Master and Apprentice. Going to give a plug for some DC talk. She also wrote House of L, which was fantastic. Young adult graphic novel. Highly recommend checking it out. Um, but Claudia Gray is just phenomenal. Uh, her work is incredible. Very pivotal. Pivot, pivotal. Pivotal. Goodness very pivotal to how canon has kind of shaped itself and we get to see a lot more of her work in here um some of the things that she's um left some breadcrumbs from in the past so get to catch up on some of that this book was um narrated audiobook by dan bittner this is his first star wars audiobook which is cool uh but he has narrated several other works and has appeared as an actor in several series on television so no stranger to this type of thing and Utini's rating, they rated this an 8.9 as a whole. Um, our staff reviewers, it's very good. And the Living Force guys just recently finished up their talk on the um, their two-part roundtable. Patrick, did you get a chance to watch uh, the roundtable with the guys and, and what they thought about it? I did. And also, like I will say, I, I'm, I can't think. I can't remember which one of them gave it like a – one of them gave it a 9.5. Uh, perhaps I'm, I'm struggling to remember the specifics. <laughs> I can't remember anything right now. Like I got the allergy brain. So I'm like, like, you know, I'm in the fog before the Claritin kicks in. Mm, I got you. And you know, you've been hit by the COVID needle truck. We will, we'll make it through. I promise we'll make it through. Adam, how about you? Did you check out the round tables? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I gave it a listen. Um, when they came out via the, Apple Apple Podcasts. I like, like, yeah. I think I kind of agreed with them in in the most part that it was it was good. It was a great story, but I don't think it was Claudia's best work. Um, hmm. And and y'all y'all have all read this before, right? This is your second or third time probably reading through or listening to it or at least recapping it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I mean, figured that'd be the case for most of us. Then you only get Geo just once. Yeah, no, you you got to absorb absorb him as much as you can. Um, we will try sexy, quiet rap type. <laughs> the we will, of a man. We will try so very hard to not get into um, major spoilers or um, like. I mean, this this will be a spoiler filled show, but we're gonna try to not get too heavily into it beyond the uh, chapters that we read. Um, we may leak something occasionally by accident, but uh, yeah, we've all read this one before and it's super good. So for those of you that are uh, just getting started, uh, bear with us on that. Read quickly. I'm going to go ahead and jump into the summary um, and then we will run, run along with it. So spoilers away, spoilers ahead. Um, continue at your own risk. We open on the bustling city of Coruscant. Jedi Master Jorah Mali and Padawan Reith Silas capture pirates going after building materials in a developing district. When the job is finished, Master Jorah announces that they will be traveling to Starlight Beacon for their next mission, out on the frontier and away from the archives and the city life that Reith loves so much. He's not too happy about it. Jorah's previous Padawan, Dez, loved adventure. 
Wreath, not so much. Jorah has gone on ahead, leaving time for Wreath to not enjoy himself at all at a going-away party. When it's time to depart, he finds that Des will be joining them, along with Orla, a wayseeker, and Master Comac Vitus, a folklorist. The ship they'll be taking is a shoddy transport ship called the Vessel. Affy is the co-pilot, she's right around Wreath's age, and Leox, the pilot, talks like Yoda on Spice. And Geode, a rock, is their navigator. We'll come back to that. They work for the Bind Guild, and Scoverbind, the owner, is Affy's foster mother. Being from the frontier, they have many questions about the Jedi, as they've never even been to the core before. This is all very new to them. Wreath is sure that he'll grow to become calm and steady like the rest of the Jedi, but little does he know that Orla wasn't sure she should have become a wayseeker. Comac is shielding emotions about his past, and Des is seeking change from his current situation. Mid-voyage, Leox chews on a spice stick and notices that something is very wrong with hyperspace traffic and warns the crews that something is happening. Hyperspace is broken. The great disaster is here. Something big is in their path, and they get hit. It isn't too bad, but Wreath goes to help Affy fix it. When they get back to the bridge, they learn that they were hit by a passenger ship, much like the Legacy Run. <clears throat> it was the Legacy Run, which is operated by the Bind Guild. <laughs> to avoid more catastrophe, they change course in hyperspace and jump to an unknown location pre-programmed into the ship. Communications are hectic as so many systems are affected. They get to an emergency beacon from a nearby ship. But when Wreath thinks to answer it, Orla cautions them not to, because you never know who is out there. They could be pirates, or the Nile. Leox runs a scan and notes that there are several other ships out there. One is filled with Arinkin, with this um, Arinkin species. They're vicious and ugly creatures, both outside and within. Another ship is small, with mismatched parts. This one sent the original help signal. A young girl answers the call and informs them she's stranded with her caregiver. When they extend the, sens the sensors further, they find an abandoned space station. They make their way to it quickly as the local star um, is sending flares every so often that could vaporize them in an instant. When they arrive, Wreath, Affy, and Dez scope out the station and find that it is filled with plant life being taken care of by droids. There are some stone statues that present some kind of darkness. Affy finds some spacer tools, which meant that this place had been somewhat frequented in the last couple years. But there's a reason the guild had to have this location after all. As the remaining ships dock, Comac welcomes them in with Nan, the young girl who had sent the emergency beacon, instantly taking to Wreath. She's probably got a little crush. Some people don't know how to respond to Jedi, but she wants to know literally everything. She's not used to good people doing good things without payment. Affy goes to check the upper rings of the station and finds writing on the lockers, symbols and numbers, notes to other wayfarers. Even the Bind Guild crest is there. Meanwhile, Orla and Comac look at the four stone statues and are overcome with darkness and cold. They were struck with not just a vision, but a warning. And while all this is happening, Wreath struggles to keep the Mitzi and Arinkins in line. They begin looting the station. Eventually, some make their way towards Affy. She gets into hiding as some of the Mitzi draw close to her. They're attempting to kidnap Nan. As Comac rallies to um, from the darkness, the Jedi spread out to bring peace. When Wreath approaches the thugs, they don't relent, and he ends up severing the arm of one of the looters with his lightsaber and takes Nan back to the airlock area. The Arinkins fire at Comac, who carefully deflects the blaster bolts away. He draws on the force and levitates high above the station, something that I would do all the time. He's super intimidating, and he orders them to stop, leave, or cooperate. As things settle, Dez can't figure out what Comac felt on the force. He says that he felt like he was in an abyss. Could they be the statues? Could they be Sith-imbued objects? Or could it be the plant life itself? Comac says no, as he felt some kind of an intelligence. 
Whatever it is, they're trapped with it. While meditating, he ponders the wrongness of the Jedi not studying the dark side. The rest of the crew head down to the lower rings and find that the roots and vines have grown through the tunnels. Amitsi starts cutting through the plant life on the way down, and then the droids turn on them and begin to attack. And that's technically where we end, but spread throughout this section um, are two little bitty parts of what happened 25 years earlier. Orla and Komak, um, as young Jedi, are trying to rescue two kidnapped rulers from Aram and Arano, the system's long-refuted Republic aid and claim to be independent. For Jedi to be involved in a mission like this, it had to be huge. This is a key sector, but frozen by bitter hate from the two planets for each other. Saving the rulers could change absolutely everything. They're being held on a moon with extensive cave systems ignored by the planets. Um, Lord Isimer is furious that his henchmen didn't capture Queen Dima, uh, but instead her consort, Thandaka. The Huts won't be thrilled about it. The Huts? They're going to lure the Jedi to them by taking the need um, for help from Castle's ship. Orla answers the call and states that they're on the way. Komak is introspective. Orla is always thinking ahead, but their ship gets badly damaged en route to the moon, and Master Simix cannot be felt in the Force. Komak feels like he has failed and is responsible for his death. Or for her death, sorry. They'll stay with him for a while. The Huts want the Jedi and the Republic to be hated. They're aiming for mass enslavement. The two captive rulers discuss their current situation. Probably not going to end well. They find their ways into the caves, the Jedi this is, and find carvings and signs of large snakes. They must press forward, and then a giant white snake approaches with fangs bared. Let's start there. Towards the cave, they pull up towards the enemy and snakes! (laughs) Snakes! Snakes! Uh, Sorry, I was thinking of that old internet 90s video. Badger, 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 badger. (laughs) Do y'all remember this? (laughs) Sorry. Oh, man. Don't look it up right now. Um, So let's start with there. Um, The whole 25 years earlier thing. Um, what did y'all think about this? D- does this story make sense to you so far? Uh, Adam, let's start with you. I think it was easy enough to follow, but when I when I first read it, I was wondering its place in the story as a whole. Um, in the present day High Republic, everything's just go, go, go at this point. We're starting to find out that these plants might be, what, half-sentient possibility of dark side statues, and then, now nah, we'll go back 25 years earlier and, and talk about a a kidnapping. I guess I, I thought it was a bit of a weird place. Yeah, there's there's some odd jumping around. Like it doesn't always fit properly, um, which is why I tried to to separate it within the summary. Because I'm like, I don't know how else to do this effectively. Patrick, how about you? Uh, is everything making sense to you so far? Do you like the way that it's broken up? I, it felt like it was always going to have a bigger like greater impact on the story farther down like it was playing the long game with it but at the like early on i was like oh god i'm I'm kind of annoyed with this already but Mm. i do like how it started you know with the uh two planets that said don't tread on me we have rats (laughs) we we need help with our rats yeah that is being infringed upon that is very present for sure from them um i do think it was interesting you know like 232 is the earliest uh, or 232 BBY, I should say, is the earliest that we've seen really in this new canon. And then to go immediately 25 years, a little bit earlier um, to this, it seems like the similar location, like close to the same place. Um, And so there's some weird 
like kind of relates. Um, I think it's going to play a little bit more um, into the later story as we get into it. Uh, but you can definitely tell that Comac and Orla, as they talk in the present day, um, like they're still very much affected by the events that happened here. Like Comac losing his um, his Jedi Master in the midst of this. And um, I don't know that maybe that could be why he's a little bit slower and very introspective, you know, later on. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see our thoughts as we approach the end of the book again. Um, so let's spend most of our time here on the present day. I mean, we spend the majority of our setting um, on this Amaxine station, which, holy cow, the Amaxines show back up. Um, obviously a favorite of Claudia Gray's because she introduced them in Bloodline. Um, Patrick, what did you think getting to see the Amaxines again? Um, or I say again, seeing a little bit more of their history here. My only thing with this is like, I always find them as like knockoff Mandalorians. They're like the Walmart brand. Mm. <laughs> it's still so bad saying it's like, it's like, oh, it's like Walmart brand. It's like, oh, let's get Mandalorians. They're made from Kellogg's. And Goodness it's like, oh, gracious. Oh, here's a Maxine's. They're a dollar cheaper. That's hysterical. Adam, do you feel like the Maxines are Walmart Mandalorians? <laughs> I can definitely see where that come from, comes from, but I'd love the link to Bloodline, personally, as well. Bloodline's like one of my yeah. top three books. Um, so to see Claudia Gray just grab that Walmart Mandalorian storyline and throw it into Into the Dark, I was all for it. <laughs> I love that we get a little bit more of, like, they are this ancient warrior you know, type. They were unmatched. But it was weird, and I think it was, I think it was Comac that introduced this, of, like, I'm confused. They didn't want the peace in the Republic. So instead of continuing to fight them, they just went and tried to find a war elsewhere. <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. Why not just fight where you are? <laughs> so uh, maybe, maybe the Walmart thing sticks. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe you right. maybe you expect, they're kind of like, the, they're that grocery item that you anticipate needing to return in three months or something like that. Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just me that, that does that. But <laughs> y'all return them? Y'all just don't pawn them off on your friends? No, not at all. Well, this family uh, members, you don't... I have more respect for my friends, Patrick. <laughs> Except for me, <laughs> <maybe> Adam. <laughs> oh, there it is. I did the thing. Pew, 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 pew. Those are the shots. Oh man. Well, what do y'all think of the dark side stones? Um, because that's I. I I mean, they didn't get a whole lot of uh, of uh, page time here, but yeah, that's another pretty big thing that they're walking into. This is our first real appearance of the dark side. Adam, how'd that hit you? I don't know, Tim. That sounds like a question you'd ask a friend. <laughs> I, I, I realize my error, and I'm trying to make up for it. I'm sorry. Lucky this podcast isn't to the, going to the public now, hey? Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, no, I, well, I, I, I'm i going to disregard the fact that you're about to answer. I'm going to say that Cheryl loved the idol stuff. Thank you for, for voicing your opinion. And it was super intriguing. I thought so anyways. I thought okay. that. I thought. Can I talk, Timothy? Am I, am yes, I go talk? for it. Please, please. <laughs> for the love of God, please. I uh, really like them as well. And I... I know we're going to talk about it eventually, but when we get to the point of the Jedi just seem to think that they can manipulate the statues, right? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, just like what they represent, that 
these objects are imbued with the dark side and kind of like kind of remind me a lot of the old republic like the game and and those books that that accompanied the old republic mmo and you know some of the nazi old republic stuff there was plenty of objects imbued with the dark side in that or the dark side's <clears throat> a dark side ghost has been left in a tomb or these kinds of things it kind of gave me the, the warm and fuzzies from some stories that i liked from legends yeah that's a good pull and we haven't really seen many dark side things imbued in canon um I mean, I think the closest thing that we might have is Momin's mask, uh, you know, first seen in the Lando miniseries and then seen again in um, uh, Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith. But Patrick, how about you? What did you think of these possible dark side, whatever's happening here, stones? Um, I felt like it was a mixture of like Indiana Jones and the fifth element. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually I did see find you it and intriguing. I see your, I see your GIF. <laughs> I, I found it intriguing because I was like, huh, because whoever put them there, like, eh, they're out in the middle of nowhere for a reason. It's like when you eh, don't touch stuff you find in the middle of nowhere. Have we not learned from horror movies? Yeah. Damn. Also, like, can you not leave a note of some kind? Mm. I mean, I don't know. Like, hey, whatever you do, don't move these or try to move the darkness away mm. from them. It's like. It's like getting an Ikea piece of furniture that they forgot to pack the instructions. Delete some instructions, guys. <laughs> Scratch it on there somewhere. <laughs> Maybe this is such a bad thing that we're going public. Kevin Durant's going to listen to this. Ikea's managers are going to listen to this. This is going to be terrible, guys. Well, maybe Ikea can assemble this. Hey, I got a table. Can one of y'all send some help down here? Well, if I... I'm- it's not that I can't figure it out. I'm just lazy. So there's a difference. If I check my Twitter DMs and Kevin Durant's dropping C-bombs on me, Timothy, I'm sending them to your Twitter handle. <laughs> Please. Please. Just I'm, call I'm ready for it. <laughs> or Draymond Green. I'm ready for it. Um, what I'm probably not ready for is to get into a GIF-GIF battle with Cheryl in the chat. Because um, the, the, the originator, the originator of it, has said otherwise, I believe, on record. But I don't know. Well, uh, I'll, 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 I'll seed you the victory for now. Um, let's talk about some characters. So the main character, undoubtedly, I think in this is our boy Wreath Silas. Um, what do we think about Wreath? He is as, um, I guess as Claudia Gray referred to him on the Living Forces interview. Um, he's very much like a male Hermione Granger from Harry Potter. <laughs> loves his books, loves the archives. Um, Master Jorah says that, you know, his strength, you know, in the force, it isn't remarkable. He's not like an Anakin per se, uh, but he works harder than most. He does not like adventure. He says that they're a euphemism for going places with bugs. Um, I don't know. Patrick, how do you feel about Wreath? And is it okay that he's different? First of all, He's called adventure going to places with bugs. You know, he just insulted my homeland of Florida because every place down there is a place with bugs. So I need an official apology from him before I go further. Now, but no, I do find him very interesting as a person who, yeah, they rather sit back and learn and watch the adventures of others. It made me think of the quote from Jurassic Park. What was um, Dr. Grant said? There's kids who want to be astronomers and kids who want to be astronauts and the adventurous kids who want to touch and do everything they end up astronauts and the kids who 
are just content with learning about them and reading and studying everything from the safe distance of the astronomers. So, yeah, that just popped in my head for that every time came on the page. Oh, I gotcha. Um, I personally thought a lot of um, Sam from Game of Thrones. Uh, for those of us that have seen that, he is very much a book nerd and very much is a key <laughs> to figuring out how to do things. Don't disrespect him like that. I'm not. Stop, I, I have it. the highest. You stop it. You stop it right now. You Adam, know Sam couldn't fight. You know Sam couldn't fight. Adam, what do you think of Wraith? <laughs> I, I, I liked Wraith. I liked that the, there is a Jedi who would rather learn than go gun-ho, shock and all, um, explore the galaxy with his lightsaber. Like, I really related to Wraith in a way. Um, I think he was, in terms of the Jedi that we've seen in all the storytelling, probably one of the more realistic Jedi. You know, just mm. more down-to-earth, um, he has these anxieties, etc. Like he just seems like a normal person in a way. So I really liked Reese. Um, kind of, it's. I think the lads were talking about it on the the Living Force, but like, kind of like a he'd grow up to be a a less grumpy Jacusta <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. Um, and I think he's he's very much who I would probably end up most like. Um, you know, Cheryl feels similarly like he's able to able to fight. He's able to to do things. He excels in, in these areas, he, but he has his preferences like he'd much prefer to be with a book. He'd much prefer to be learning and providing the valuable information to those who are, you know, out and about um, doing the other hard work. But just because he chooses to not do those things and to go in, you know, with his lightsaber drawn before he knows what's going on, like some Jedi, he like, that's fine. That's okay that he doesn't want to do that. And it's also very interesting to see him compared to Dez, who was um, Jorah's previous Padawan. I thought it was really interesting that she chose two very opposite people to work with. Um, and we don't have much on Dez here other than that. He loves adventure. Um, but he, there was a brief little moment where, um, you know, the reason that he is leaving, um, the reason that he's on this particular journey is because he wanted something different. He wanted a change that Patrick, why do you think that is, um, you know, Des being one full of adventure, what is it about him wanting change? Um, he realized he was getting old and probably his last mission, he got injured and he felt it for a while. And he's just like, I can't do this no more. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair no, enough. I mean, hey, I'm just saying that would that would encourage me to change my ways. Like, he, uh, you your knees pop too much and you have to take too much aspirin to get out of bed. Wouldn't you stop? <laughs> uh, wouldn't you stop partying? I think you would. Yeah, probably. He does remind me a bit of um, Quinlan Voss almost to an extent. Like he's kind of got that cool guy swagger. Um, very popular. You know, very out there. Very wants to. Uh, very much wants to go out and do things. Um, Adam, how did Des strike you? Very energetic. That's yeah. that's how I saw it. It's like Jeremali like dealt with him, and then when he got his, he completed his trials and became a Jedi Knight. <clears throat> he immediately went to the archives and just 
looked for the quietest Padawan possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like maybe overcorrected. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, I think I've lost 20 years of my life with that man. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, one thing that uh, Cheryl kind of brings up, she she talked about how she related a lot um, to Wreath, but also maybe kind of related to Comac a bit. And I'm wondering, as we pivot to Comac and Orla, I'm wondering if maybe the reason that Cheryl identified with Comac is uh, because he loved his stories. And when Wreath asked him how he developed stories, how he took stories down, one of the things that Comac says is, well, you study their art and symbols and their legends to get there. I think there's a Thrawn connection, huh? But one of the things that both he and Orla have, and I'm going to kind of lump them together, you know, whether that's fair or not. They both have this point of questioning the order. Um, Orla goes so far as to become a way seeker, which is something that I had never heard of before. And they're basically these Jedi that operate outside of council authority. Um, they, she doesn't see eye to eye with them. And uh, the cover, right, is that they're going to seek a better understanding of the force as if the council can't provide that. Um, Adam, what do you think about that? And the fact that Comac may kind of be getting there as well. I, I really like the idea of, of a way seeker. Um, clearly by the prequels, the idea of a way seeker is probably going away <laughs> as they become... Yeah, there's no way Yoda, there's no way Yoda <laughs> allows that, right? He's probably the... He, like the three prequel masters in the High Republic we see, they're like the three that say no to Wayseekers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I really like the idea of a Wayseeker and that you can just go away and kind of intuit, like tune yourself to the Force and just be by yourself, explore the galaxy, all that all that good stuff. Um, and like speaking of Comac, yeah, I think when we did Light of the Jedi, Elzar Man, I think was my favorite, my favorite character mm-hmm. walking out of Light of the Jedi. Because just because he was just too cool for school and then the vision and everything else that came with it. But I think that Comac might be taking over a little bit because he is. Yeah. He, he, he questions. He loves myth. He takes on just so much. Um, and, like, you know, he loses his master and he, he kind of reacts in the way that we'd all react if we were in that type of relationship and he starts to question. So, yeah, Comac. This is the Comac Appreciation Society along with Geode. Mostly geode. Okay. Ninety-five <laughs> we'll, percent we'll geode. To, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that ninety-five percent here in a moment. Patrick, uh, what are your thoughts on Orla and Comac? Comac does something very interesting to me, and that's he. He feels like he strengthened. It's like it's almost a strengthening faith by questioning faith. Mm, mm-hmm. Like you can either question question it to talk yourself out of it. Or you um, strengthen the basis of what your faith is built on by questioning the reasons of why and why not. Mm, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I feel like that's what he, a lot of what he gets gets to. Actually, a bit of both, to be honest. Yeah, there's. I mean, and I think that's something that that we can all very much relate to in a sense. Um, you know, coming into adulthood, you know, your upbringing, your value systems, your faith for a long time is very much, in this case, the orders or it's your parents. Um, 
or your guardians or, or whatever that looks like, the whoever the leaders are in your life. And at some point you get to where you develop some critical thinking skills and you start to to question things and question your beliefs and really like I don't know, like it comes into your own. Um, you're able to to think through things in your own way. And I think that's very healthy. Um, even if you find that the things that you explore are perfectly in line with what was, um, that's fine. But oftentimes we tend to pivot. Um, and I think that's perfectly okay too. And it's, it's really cool that we get to see that within the order here. Um, so I'm very interested to how that conversation continues to develop as we move forward. Um, and just because you ask yourself questions, it doesn't mean that you have to completely pivot away. Um, and I think that that's, that's something that's really interesting to, to talk about as well. So let's move on to the crazier cast. Um, in this, uh, I guess we're going to get even crazier, but we'll, we'll kind of start slow. Let's talk about Affy, um, the crew of the vessel. So Affy is a boss. Um, I mean, she's Reed's age. Um, but when their ship gets damaged and a little bit kind of almost on the verge of being destroyed, she holds a coaxium regulator with her bare freaking hands and like writes the thing. Um, not to mention she's the foster daughter of the owner of the bind guild. Um, and she's like, you know what? Screw everybody else. I'm going to go rummage through this random big space station on my own. Patrick, what do you think about Affy? She is just the long, next step in the long line of, uh, you know, the female teenagers that uh, take names, kick ass, and ask questions later. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Adam, what do you think on, on Affy, co-pilot of the vessel? Yeah, just at the start, he just seemed very tough as nails, didn't she? The idea of <laughs> holding the regulator in her bare hands. It's like Thor in, you know, in Infinity War, holding the, the, the power of the star to get his his giant axe. Just absolute power. I just thought it was very cool. I did like Affy. In fact, I like that whole crew. They were a great addition to the yeah, story. Yeah. Um, I think what I really loved is the relationship between Affy and Leox Jossie. Leox is the captain. He is very much Matthew McConaughey, as Claudia Gray <laughs> will, will abundantly declare. Um, it's really cool because he is, um, he's one of, he's a very diverse character in many, many ways. Um, very free thinking, very much doesn't necessarily like the fact that he has to wear, um, you know, the bind guild logo. Um, they're carrying spice in an area on back of the ship and he's frequently, you know, on it. <laughs> um, and he's also, um, a little bit of representation for a lot of folks out there who identify as ace or arrow, um, asexual or aromantic in nature. Um, there was a really fun conversation between he and Affy as they're trying to figure out the Jedi as a whole and their base wizard, uh, monk wizardness and whether or not, you know, they have particular relations and, and how they handle things like sex and things like that. And it was just, it was really interesting that we kind of get his characterization through a lot of these conversations. Um, I love that Wreath referred to him as uh, speaking like Yoda on spice. And I think that's the perfect characterization for who Leox is. Um, Adam, what would you think of this, this crazy captain? After we like talked uh, Matthew McConaughey, I definitely pictured it. And 
Uh, sorry, I already forgot his name. It's his first book. That's okay. But Dan, the narrator, did, I thought he did yeah, very yeah, well yeah. with Leox as well. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> I think yes. his portrayal of that character and the way that he sounded and pronounced his his lettering and, and words was great. I really loved it. Um, and just the representation again. It's just another addition into the canon that we love to see. Um, that, that sometimes they try and that sorry that Lucasfilm do try and, and when they do try they can actually do some great work and this is just another one of those examples he's a phenomenal character and I, I really hope that we get more of him Patrick nodding your head over there what, what do you think of our boy Leox Jossie that man has beads a waterbed and a fish poster in his <laughs> <laughs> and a lava lamp in the corner am I right <laughs> right that man has a bong in there, and then he gets an ashtray for like the front, the driver's seat. He's one of those guys like ah, I can't can't fly sober. Hold on, this takes the nerve off. You just hear a hard bong hit. He's probably got like a really exotic pet as well. <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah, he is. He is a character for sure. Oh, he's got like a monkey lizard that he feeds edibles. <laughs> oh gosh oh gosh you're probably not on wrong his birth- on his birthday i give him shrooms it helps clear his mind and his allergies have you guys seen pineapple express i feel like he would fit in in that film i was like gonna- perfect I, was- <laughs> I thought he was from half baked he's like uh, what's that around your neck i, I got high and-, and i bought jerry garcia in a bottle he's such an interesting character and for as wild as he is um he also has this very sobering quality about him um komak is impressed with the fact that he can you know speak very logically um you know when they show up and he's like let's let's extend these sensors a bit and see what we can find um and komak is like oh like in spite of his appearance this guy's actually somewhat intelligent <laughs> and then further whenever wreath is having a hard time to you know wrangle all of the craziness of the the group that is trying to raid the station and, and loot through everything you know he comes in and he's like man isn't this place just beautiful like isn't it great that we're here and we're not dead <laughs> um and everyone's like oh yeah you know you're right you, you're absolutely right you strange hippie man you are right <laughs> Um, and I, I love that characterization that he is um, so wild, so out there, but also very competent. Um, and yeah, as Cheryl says, he's never condescending either. Uh, the way that he has that conversation with Affy, um, you know, very much respects who she is as a person, doesn't try to be this overbearing, you know, parent for you know how young she is, whatever. Um, love that. Absolutely love that. But guys, I think it's time. I think it's time to talk about the character that just absolutely friggin rocks. I mean, this guy, this guy is so epic. I was overcome with an avalanche of emotion when I first read this. It's time to talk about Geode. Freaking Geode. Out the gate. We have everything from a a, a book nerd in Wreath to a bunch of Jedi Masters questioning who they are to, as Patrick dubs, a space pothead, to, guys, we have a rock. <laughs> we have a rock as a main character in a Star Wars book. Adam, give me your thoughts on this man. I think that every era, Timothy, has had a defining character that lives on forever. 
The sequel trilogy okay. gave us Ben and Ray, and the prequels gave us characters like Qui Gon. And I think the High Republic, at the end of the day, we're going to walk away. It's going to be Geode. Geode. I, I I could not agree with you more. Geode is the character of the High Republic. Like yeah. I want someone to carve him an arm and give him a lightsaber. That's just inductive. Just, <laughs> I want him to be the one that defeats Martian Rowe. I'm calling it. He's, yeah. he's it. That's it. <laughs> when he yeah, come, if, whether... he, if, if he was in live action, he'd come on and Jewel of the Fates would start playing. Like, he is the <laughs> character. <laughs> um, I mean, he's, he's a wild man. Um, I mean, he's like jump-scaring Wreath in the kitchen. He's uh, when Reith goes to try to approach him and like he tries to talk to him like, no, don't don't do that. The geode is a sensitive, a sensitive being. Um, and it's kind of odd because he's a rock. You like you can't talk unless you also don't have a mouth. Um, there's a lot to there's a lot going on here. Cheryl said it. I, th- I, I was the same. I thought the crew was playing a joke. I thought Claudia Gray was trying to joke with me. Uh, yeah she wasn't it's a real thing <laughs> yeah patrick your thoughts on the one and only geode oh my lord that is a mountain of a man mountain yeah. a sturdy a sturdy cornerstone of that ship's household he is he is the rock they need he is the solid foundation he is their everything. He is the bedrock on which that family is based upon. Uh, Chris mentions right, that uh, he thought that Geode was a troll. And to be honest, the first time that I saw that particular line that he was a troll, I immediately went to the trolls movies and I was super confused. But then that made me think strangely about Frozen and about those little rock creatures that helped try to explain things. And I don't know, maybe I'm losing my mind here, but Geode is epic um, and I am all for it. And yes, he is. Geode is. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm, I wonder, does he like float across the floor? Like, does he just, like when he moves from the kitchen to the cockpit, does he just pick up and like levitate a little bit or does he leave like a log? Like, I think he tumbles. I, I I think he, I think he makes sure that when no one is looking, not a single eyeball, I think he just like clumsily tumbles to his next area. And like, not only is this going to be a defining legacy of the High Republic, but this is like a Yoda level mystery. Like we we will never know probably how he gets around and how he, you know, parties in the nightclubs and does all these things. Like we just and do we want to know? I think that the mystery of Geode. I don't is everything. <laughs> I don't want to know know anything about him. I don't want to know how he eats. I don't want to know how he drinks. I don't want to know how he knows how to fly the ship. I just need to know that he's there. That's enough for me. So so the main thing, guys, is is Geode Force sensitive. Can he do all these things with the Force? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Geode's Force sensitive. (laughs) Confirmed. Meg, write it up. (laughs) Geode is the Force. When he's at the club. You know, though, this this is not Geode being force sensitive would not be the first time that we have had force sensitive rocks in Star Wars. Mm. Um, I'm going to think back to was it Yoda's Secret War or whatever that yeah, one it's of in the, the first mainline 2015 mm. Star Wars comic runs like pretty early on. Yeah. 
pretty early on. Yeah, it was a little bit weird, but it was great. I'm I'm interested. I'm interested for more Geode. I want more of this whole crew. I want more Leox. I want more Affy. I think there's a larger um, a larger story for all of them to play. You know, assuming they all make it out of here. Who knows? Geode may crumble at the end of this. We don't know. But let's as we wait. Oh, if he crumbles, is that like him making more Geodes? Oh, I don't know that I want to know that answer. <laughs> I think the world could only handle one geode. Wait. Get, How long do you world. think it took him to get into that kind of shape? Was there a body of water nearby to mold him? <laughs> Over a millennia. <laughs> right. Geode was in that volcano when uh, Anakin got sliced up by Obi-Wan. <laughs> That was him in the background the whole time. Oh no, wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it Ray on uh, Octo? Uh, whenever she's practicing with her lightsaber and the whole, you know, the the rock falls. Uh, does does Ray destroy Geo? Did we just not know? <laughs> if she maybe does, the whole um, the whole sequel's away. If she does, was Geo the original? Was Geo the original Jedi Temple? <laughs> <sighs> I think it's in. All right, I think I think what I we think need. I think what we need is that Ryan Johnson trilogy is three movies about Geode. Something unlike we have ever seen, and it's Geode. Yeah, I'm, it. I'm here for it. <laughs> Directed by Ryan Johnson, I am here for it. Question: If Geode goes undercover, does he have to wear like one of those glasses that have eyes and a nose and a mustache connected to it? <laughs> Probably that, or you just pour some sand on him. Looks like he's been there for a while. <laughs> Put a little moss on him. Oh, man. They'll never know. They'll this just is... think I'm a regular park rock. No one like, will know. Bam! They'll and, never and, know. And that worries me. This is what the people who will listen to this on the, on the feeds will want. They will just skip straight to the geode section. You should put a little timestamp in the info the geode appreciation section of the podcast. I feel a little afraid to ask people to review us after this episode. <laughs> I mean, unlike Kevin Durant on the internet, I'm not scared. Like, really, if they if, if they give us one star, then they're just a bunch of Mace Windu fans, and that's it. Um, I'm not even going to talk about how I might be coming around on Mace Windu, but we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Let's, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at T Guthrie. <laughs> <laughs> oh you, man, you you talk about friendship. He talks about friendship, Patrick, and then he <laughs> drops things like this. <laughs> I want you to send Chewie to his oh. house to chew his cords. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta keep things interesting. I gotta keep things interesting. No, um, let's let's close this out before I get myself into any more trouble. Um, we get some fun connections and Easter eggs, um, and I kind of want to end on a, not a heavy topic, but I just, just want to end talk about the Jedi. But I thought it was great that we got we get Emery and Vernestra mentioned, and I love that um, they are both uh, primary characters in um, Justina Ireland's Out of the Shadows. No, that's not what that's called. What is, test of courage? It? Yeah, test of courage. Sorry, Out of the Shadows is coming next. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, Emery and Vernestra are from A Test of Courage. Super fun book. Takes place shortly after Into the Dark, but they're good friends of Wreath. Um, and I love that he made a, a passing reference to them. Um, obviously, we get the Amaxine station. That's a connection to everything else. And the ship or the station itself. Um, do y'all catch where that originally showed up? 
Into the Dark is not the first time we've been at that station. That would be the rise. Patrick, do you know? Oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> Wasn't it Bloodlines? No. The, no, the space station that they're on appeared. We can actually see it in the rise of Kylo Ren. Yeah. The comic. And like that wasn't With even Snoke's oh. funny hat. Right. That is an amazing that, hat. Wait. You watch yourself, Timothy. <laughs> he's wearing his, he's, he's wearing his pool hat. Okay. He is wearing <laughs> Snoke's pool hat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, and that's just again Charles Soul being Charles Soul and just the interconnective tissue here. Um, yeah, I love that that station made an appearance in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic. Um, and it helped me to visualize it a lot better, yeah. um, yep. too. Like while we were going through how the ring structures are all laid out, the fact that there's plants everywhere, like, and the fact that this is centuries later, the fact that it's still around, uh, there's a lot of story that's probably going to come back to this place. Um, so very, very interested for that. And yeah, Cheryl, the creepy snow cat dome was this station. So really cool. My brand Mandalorians. <laughs> oh, full circle. Honestly, I feel like that's why they're no longer here. Because um, they tried to fight them. But then they realized they were a cheap knockoff. And they caught all that smoke. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it was like, no, you're going to learn today. My final, the final thing I want to talk about um, is there's a lot of questions I mentioned in the summary about um, how... Leox and Affy just don't understand the Jedi being out on the frontier. Um, and Reith tries to explain the Jedi to her um, in like two sentences. He says, Jedi are force users united in their quest to understand the mysteries of the force and to serve as guardians of peace and justice throughout the galaxy. They ground themselves in spiritual existence and give up individual arrangements entirely to focus on greater concerns or sorry, arrangements, individual attachments entirely to focus on greater concerns. Adam, do you feel like that is a perfect summary of who the Jedi are? And would you agree with his understanding? Yeah, I think so. But like from a a young Jedi's point of view, I think that he is still in the honeymoon period of of being a Jedi. Before he, he starts to... You know he's gonna he's gonna grow. There's many years between him and Comac, and you know Comac probably doesn't agree with that outlook, right? Or a lot of older Jedi might not, not agree with that outlook. So yeah, definitely just a young, impressionable youth, indoctrinated into the Jedi has this perfect. Yeah, I love. It's like the mission Cheryl statement. Says, it's like the Utini mission statement. You know, we ought a mission well, statement. That's, that's what Cheryl <laughs> says. She says Wreath gave gave her mission trip vibes in that speech. <laughs> Like every company has a, a mission statement, and I, like this is like Reese's first day, and yeah. there's Yoda like writing it on the board. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it, it's really interesting to hear that, and and of course, like we we get you know Comac and um, and Orla kind of questioning it. Um, the fact that the Padawan braid isn't even necessarily a like thing that you have to do. It's just something that Jorah kind of rolls with and that, you know, makes Reef have, but Comac's like, I wouldn't do that. Um, that seems silly to me. It's just one of those random things, but then like everybody has it in the prequel trilogy. Um, I think that's just, that's fascinating. Just one of those other things that I guess Yoda kind of passes down. I don't know. I think it's interesting that Leox gives in his conversation with Affy, you know, he gives a, a kind of segue like that just doesn't make any sense to me like if you are a jedi and you're supposed to love everyone 
how can you do that effectively if you can't even love one person? Like you don't know what that looks like. Um, and I think that that's a, a really interesting way to look at it. Um, and one of the limitations of the Jedi is they don't allow themselves to fully commit to fully love. So they end up not being able to commit at a large level either. I don't know. Patrick, would you agree with that? No, I'm, I'm right with you on there. And I think it's going to go off on a left field tangent, but I think the legends timeline did a great job of when Luke fixes that. Mm. Um, you know, when everyone's allowed to have their own significant other and they're, you know, more so open to feeling the range of emotions and having a balanced sense of everything. Yeah. Because it feels like they're no longer trying to hide who they are. Also, the one thing about the, the dogma in um, High Republic 2 is it still feels like they don't want to lean into the fact that they're still warriors. No matter what they say, no, no, no. Y'all are warriors. Don't don't try and downplay it. Y'all can mm. whoop anybody. You can whoop anybody. Don't try and lie to me. Yeah, Stop this, trying to hide from it. This was something that, that we had gotten some feedback on that people loved our conversation about peacekeepers versus warriors and, and, and who the Jedi are and where they are in this. And yeah, being a warrior is far and apart away from this so far. Um, even though that seems like it's very much something they have to do. I mean, like wreath cuts a, a guy's arm off. <laughs> um, like if you're trained in combat, you're a warrior. Let's be honest. Mm. I feel like most modern day definitions, especially if you ask people who are, were servicemen, like, Adam, were you, if, I was, if I'm mistaken, didn't you say you were in the service? I Australian was. service. I was, yes. Do you think that, be, since you were trained for combat, I take it? In my own way, yeah, definitely. Does that, doesn't that make one a warrior? I think to be a warrior, if one were, must... Yeah, you're right, you, you, have, you have to deeply believe what you're what you're fighting for or you're merely a soldier, right? And for me, now that I look back and I joined so young that it, it perhaps kind of brought me in as a warrior thinking, but then I became more of the soldier. I, I started to learn about the world, etc., um, and kind of branched out of that. And that, and that, and the dogma that that came with. Hmm. Hmm. Well, and I think that, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that you have to be defined mm. exclusively one or the other. Um, personally, I mean, I think just because you can fight, it doesn't mean that you have to. Um, and I think that was one of the cool things that we saw, you know, when we finished Alphabet Squadron last week, the trilogy, we finished Victory's Price. You know, Will's decision of like, I can do this thing and I am good at this thing. I can lead this thing. But that ain't me. Like, I, I don't want to do that. I can put that away. Um a lot of people probably have, um, you know, very, very different takes on that. But it, it's interesting to see how that would fall on the Jedi as well. Um, and I think it's it's interesting that you don't necessarily have to play by both. Um, you don't have to let the one define you. But I think that's an error of the Jedi that they sometimes neglect the parts of themselves that do tend to be like, they're like, no, 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 we're not warriors. And it's like, but you do fight. Just, just mm. say that you fight and we'll move on the conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> the biggest thing is they just need to lean into what they are. Just stop trying to act like you're like, no, just lean into it, buddy. Just lean into it. Mm. Just accept it. We'll, we're, 
we'll be all happy. We, we know. We get it. We'll be happy with you. Well, we'll be happy that you finally accepted it. Well, there are the bits too. Like, part of your growth in this organization is to create and carry a weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't you can't stand there and tell me that you're not something when you when I if I was to look down I'd see this shiny laser sword on your space wizard belt like no yep. <laughs> yeah just acknowledge the fact that it's there acknowledge that you can do those things I think the thing that I want to end on um, is I love the quote that you know he thinks about he whenever they get the call from Nan initially um, Wreath immediately wants to go and help. Just and I get that I would too, and then Orla and Af are like, no, 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 no. They could be Nile, whatever. And Reith in the moment felt pretty chastised, uh, but he remembers a quote from Master Jorah, and she says, um, and he's remembering this that whenever you feel foolish, remember that you have been given an opportunity to learn, and the truly foolish act is to refuse that opportunity. Um, and I think that that's something that's kind of summed up everything that we've talked about you know, in these first eight chapters and, and talk about the stuff that came before is that, um, you know, we all make choices. We all are confronted with ways that we could change. Um, sometimes we are presented with things that we don't agree with or that we don't like, or, um, we're just, we're just ignorant, which is, isn't a bad thing. Um, I think inherent ignorance is not a bad thing, but when you're confronted with something, I think to wrestle with that, um, to be able to take that opportunity to possibly change. Um, I think that's important. Um, and as long as you diligently try to work through that, um, I think you're all right. Even if you come out the same place you did fine. Um, but I, I love that quote, um, that, you know, you don't have to sit there and be foolish. You don't have to feel scorned for the fact that you were foolish. Just be like, Oh, I didn't know that. I do know this now. Let's see how I can move on. Um, and how I can work that into my my system and repertoire. But let's close with our favorite moments or characters. Um, I think we're all going to say Geode, but Patrick, do you have anyone other than Geode favorite moment or favorite character from this? Um, when they find Leox uh, smoking one up in the cockpit <laughs> and they just look at him and everybody just looks at him like, oh, no. Yeah, what did we get ourselves into here? It's like, oh god, we should, we didn't check the Yelp reviews. <laughs> Adam, how about you? Favorite moments, favorite characters, other uh, than Geode? Oh, okay, then my Twitter is at DarkStarAU. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> and I, oh, I actually really liked that Geode spooked Wreath in the kitchen. In the kitchen, <laughs> <laughs> again, just the mystery yep. of that character. Um, but I think just everything on the station, um, the galaxy is going through really this gigantic disaster, the great disaster. And it just shows that the galaxy is already a pretty wild place, but you put these different personalities, these different beings into a high stress environment on a station that potentially has its own dangers and like chaos kind of ensues. They're already they're there for like five minutes and they're looting. And then mm-hmm. they're going to try and take Nan and then all these different things. And then that culminates in Comac, like literally levitating to calm them down. <laughs> like yeah. just, it just, it just showed the galaxy just how quickly it can fall into disorder at the slightest issue. 
Yeah. I feel like in that moment, Leox is probably Anchorman. And just, well, that escalated quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I love it. Never thought that I'd reference Anchorman in a Star Wars podcast, but there we are. I think my favorite part, I think I'm going to agree with Cheryl. Um, I loved the mystery surrounding the idols. Um, And I know that we're going to get some more of that in the next couple chapters. Um, I love all of the dark side stuff. Um, Just we, we never saw it in light of the Jedi. And it's obviously there. I mean, even if it's been, you know, at peace and at bay for you know a thousand years or whatever, um, in some way, shape or form, it's it's still got to be there in the story. Um, and I love that we finally got it here. Um, and I'm interested to see what they do with it. Um, and that's knowing what's going to happen because I've already read the book, but I'm really excited to talk about it again um, and get y'all's thoughts on it. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you to everyone for listening and for participating in the Conjure Book Club. We will be back next week to talk through Into the Dark, chapters 9 through 14. In the meantime, you can find me, Timothy, on Twitter and Discord at underscore T Guthrie. Adam is at DarkStarAU. And Patrick is on Discord at Mac11. You can follow our show on Twitter, too, at Conjure Book Club um, for updates and uh, for our reading schedule as well. If you want to help support the show, head on over to teeny.com, look up into the dark, and click the Amazon link on the profile. It'll keep us on the air and help us produce some more awesome content. You'll also find links um, to Into the Dark, like I just said, um, and May's book, Thrawn Ascendancy, Greater Good, in the show notes um, and pinned to our chat. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon or pick up some merch at utini.com forward slash merch. A special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson, Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, and Freddie C. on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier, and Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. And shout out, last but not least, to Adam and Patrick for podcasting with me today. May the Force be with you, everyone.